0: cool thanks for your love and support in advance simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website and it'll take you where you need to go now on to the show welcome to the prolific writer podcast where speed's the name of the game Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. This is your host, Ryan Pelton. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast. However you found us, we are really glad that you stopped Bye. And this is episode number nine. I can't believe it's episode number nine. Feels like yesterday you were born and we were bringing you home from the hospital. And now you're all grown up. You're almost double digits, double digits. Number nine. I don't know what the significance of number nine is, but we are on episode number nine and we have a jam-packed, amazing awesomeness very cool guest today and her name is Libby Hawker and you might have might have known Libby and you might know her from a, a few different channels or ways or avenues or what have you she's written over 30 books novels but she's also written a very helpful book that we're going to discuss today called Taking Off Your Pants uh-huh sounds interesting doesn't it well it's not what you think perverts It actually has to do with outlining your books. And some of us are outliners. We write our books. We outline, detailed outline, 5,000-word outlines, super detailed before you begin your work. Others of us are pantsers, going by the seat of our pants, no outline, no ideas. We just go. And Libby is going to convince me that you need to outline your books if you want to write Faster, and if you want to write better. And actually, her outlining method is, is really awesome. Uh, and she uh, explores that in her book, Taking Off Your Pants. And uh, she's very prolific, and so that's why we had her on. And you're going to learn a lot from the book if you pick it up, Taking Off Your Pants. And also, we're actually going to outline a hypothetical book in the episode. So it's going to be very practical. So hopefully you can take some things away from it and use it in your writing Life, writing, career, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doodling, whatever you're up to, yada, yada, yada. So look forward to that. We'll get to that in just a moment. Just a couple updates. One, very nicely, please leave a review. I know there's some people watching it. We have hundreds and hundreds of downloads. So there's at least my mom and her friends that are watching, listening to the show. Please leave a review on either Stitcher and or iTunes, iTunes is probably easier. Uh, Reviews really help because they get people to get into the show, to pick up the show, to watch the show. I keep saying watch. It's not watch because it's actually audio. And technically audio, you can't watch audio. I mean, you could watch audio. That'd be weird. But technically, this is a podcast that you listen to. So leave a review on iTunes. We would really, really appreciate it. So the Prolific Writer Podcast, leave a review. Love to uh, have you do that. And a couple updates now. I wanted to just give you something that I think is really important because you know we talk about being prolific writers, writing fast, writing often, writing well. And I want to share a little bit about my updates in my writing this month. And I think it's important. I I, I want to practice what I preach. And so I I keep, tend to keep track of my word counts because I just want to make sure that my my writing is a daily uh, word count. Uh, I should say a daily discipline, a daily habit. Uh, I find when I I take you know, weeks off, I kind of get out of the habit and my, my writing isn't as good and it's, it's forced and it just takes some while to kind of get back into it. Um, and again, this isn't a guilt trip. This isn't to make you feel inferior or to make me feel superior by any means, by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I want to, you know, practice what I preach. And so, uh, so I've been, been writing some stuff this month, as always, on uh, quite a few different projects. And keeping track of my word count, it was kind of a new new goal, new challenges this year, January 2017. And uh, as of this um, writing, I'm really having a hard time with my words as of this writing. Okay, I'm not writing, but my writing as of January 19, 2017, I'm right at about 30,000 words or so. And, uh, and so pretty good, a little over halfway through the month. Uh, my goal I think was 50,000 for the month. So I should be passing that. Um, and again, the, this word count includes, uh, blog posts. This includes, uh, a little fiction project. I'm working on a book I'm trying to finish up. It also includes a new nonfiction project I'm working on as well. And, uh, and so just kind of chipping away. And as I look at the list, uh, w- what's interesting is there aren't a lot of huge days, and, um, and part of that is cause I, I work a, a full-time job and I have a family and children and responsibilities. And so I, I don't write eight hours a day. There's a few big days and, um, and I, I find with my rhythm of life these days, um, usually it's after the family's in bed and I'm, I'm just alone and have a lot of quiet time. I can really crank it out. Uh, but, but it's really just, just steady, just kind of cranking along. You know, there's some days, only a few hundred words here and there. Um, there, but there's some big days, like over 3000 words and a couple thousand words. And, and, but you know, it just averages out. And that's, that's really the point is just to chip away at the projects you have and the things you're working on. It's, it's not always, I got to get 10,000 in one day, but, but just kind of slow and steady. And I just encourage you in that. Cause I think sometimes we look at people and we hear, you know, 5,000 words a day or 10,000 words a day. Uh, but, but do something, even if it's a hundred, I, I think I had a hundred word day and uh, it, but it's something. And, but you know, those hundred words add up over time. And so, you know, a thousand words a day, Hey, 365 days out of the year, that's, that's 365,000 words. So that's a lot of books and a lot of, a lot of writing. So it's, it's not uh, as much as we think it is. And so, so I'm encouraged by that and I want to keep writing, keep, keep being prolific, keep getting stuff out there and um and joining all of you all of your prolificness. Hey, I also want to say I'm just we're just really blessed with this podcast. Uh, just, to, you know, we've all been doing this um, end of December. I mean, really the beginning of the year. And, uh, and we've really been fortunate to have some great guests. So go back and, and check out some past interviews. Um, you can listen to me yap too uh first few episodes and, and I'll yap again at some point. But um, Jake Bible being prolific. He writes a novel a month. Great interview there. Mike Duran talks about knowing yourself uh, and just some physical ailments he had and just putting pressure on his writing, but, but just learning to kind of take your time. And yet he's still very prolific. Uh, great interview with Armand Rosamilia. And uh, he, he talks about all kinds of things, starting out, paying it back. Um, and then we have some some great guests, uh, Libby Hawker, obviously today. And then I got Wayne Stanette coming on. Uh, very prolific writer, uh, writes the Jesse McDermott series, come on, coming out. Um, and, uh, I got Chuck Buddha as well, a beginning writer, but he's, he's cranking out tons of stuff. Um, only been doing it a couple years and, uh, and some others that I'm, I'm in the works. And so just really, really thankful for that. And so thankful for all the people that have come on the show, if you're listening and, uh, doing the interviews and we're just learning a ton from you. So thanks for sharing your wisdom and sharing your experiences. And, and hopefully this podcast will help a lot of people. So I have talked long enough, so I will stop now and we will get to Libby Hocker. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show, Libby. It's good to have you.
1: Thanks. It's good to be here.
0: Well, I am uh, excited to have Libby Hawker on the show today, um, and we're going to talk about taking off our pants. And so (laughs) uh, Libby wrote a great book um, called Taking Off Your Pants, and it's about um, outlining your novels, uh, outlining your books, and I've really appreciated it. Uh, Quite a bit. That's actually why I tracked her down, stalked her and found her and um, and really feel that you'll be able to give us a lot of good insight um, into really uh, the the premise of the book. I was just just talking to you is is about outlining so that we can write faster and we can write better. Um, And so you're you're going to convince us uh, right now. I'm going to I'm going to put you hold you down and you're going to tell us why you believe that you need to outline your books. Um, I'm a pantser, so convince me that I need to outline my books. Tell me why.
1: Well, um, what I've found in my own career, I, I'm a full-time writer now, and I you know I write fiction for a living, and it has been my experience that in order to... Uh, make that work in order to schedule enough books in a year that I can actually pay my bills <laughs> which is which is nice if you're going to do this for a living um, I need to be able to release books at kind of a reliable pace I need to be able to predict with a reasonable amount of accuracy how many books I can write in a year when I can publish them um, so I can have a continual schedule of new releases because really I mean ads are great a a, a presence on social media is great uh, doing podcast interviews is great those all help sell books but in my experience and I think a lot of other professional full-time writers have found this to be true as well nothing sells books or maintains your visibility as well as a new release so the more new releases you can get out the more books you're likely to sell so that's a big part of why I I started adopting this outlining process and why I started talking to my friends who are also writers uh, about why I was outlining how it was working for me and how it was changing my productivity and really benefiting my business and um, from those conversations with all my friends I had that sort of segued into oh you should write a book about this (laughs) so I did um, but, yeah, that's the, the main benefit in my experience is just that it allows you to um, sort of develop this pattern of work time for yourself and to write as efficiently as possible so that you can stick to a schedule and have regular production of product. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, right in the in the beginning of the book, you, you tell a little bit about your story, actually a very specific story uh, – you know, you had to write this this novel and you had a, a few weeks to actually write the novel. I think it was like 90, yeah. <laughs> 92,000 words. Um, well, Why don't you tell us just a little bit as we kind of, before we get into the kind of nuts and bolts, tell us a little bit about where you're at. I don't know how long ago that was, but how many books have you written and what are you working on and and talk a little bit about that? Sure.
1: Um, so, just this past month, December, it, it, like late in December, right before Christmas, I published my thirtieth book, and that's um, under three different pen names. I've got you know a total of thirty books <laughs> under you know various names. Uh, so, if you go to my Amazon page and look up Libby Hawker, you'll only find like a dozen there, but the rest are elsewhere. Um, so, I've got thirty out at present. I'm currently working on thirty-one. I'm always working on something new. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where I'm at with my career. I first started self-publishing in 2011, kind of towards the end of the year. So 2012 was my first complete year of doing it. Um, so I'm going into my fifth year now. Wow, that's, <laughs> that seems like a, seems like it hasn't been that long. It's kind of crazy to, to see how quickly the time's gone by. But um, yeah, I've really been enjoying it. I started writing full-time in uh, like the beginning of 2015, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. No, 2014. Oh, gosh, I can't remember now. <laughs> this is embarrassing. It was either 2014 or 15, um, And, uh, yeah, I, I, my self-publishing really took off, and uh, I just was doing everything solo, working by myself, um, not working with a publisher. I had worked with some agents previously, but they weren't able to sell my books, so I just swapped over to self-publishing and took it off from there and um, and then in uh, 2014 I was approached by a publisher about going hybrid and working with them in addition to doing my self-publishing so that is what I've been doing ever since.
0: Well great it sounds like you've been very busy Um, and (laughs) and I think it's I think it's important too to note that um, you write a lot of historical fiction and you know as I was kind of reading the book You know, it's not like you're writing these, like, hey, you can outline a, you know, novella of 20,000 words or 30,000 words. But I mean, these are, these are big stories, a lot of characters, a lot of things going on. Um, and you're, you know, cranking them out in three weeks, four weeks. And, and, you know, you swear that it's because of those outlines, right?
1: Yeah. It's, it's the outlines really that have done it for me. And, um, and being able to, well, I'm, one of the biggest uh, benefits outlining brings to me is making sure I'm, I'm being really efficient with my writing time, so I'm not like drifting off into some tangent that's going to ultimately go nowhere and is going to have to be edited out later, which happens a lot with historical fiction, because right? mm-hmm. you get really involved in all these cool details of the history and you start like, oh, it'd be cool if I explored this facet of the history and then this one over mm-hmm. here and this one, and then you sort of look at it later and you're like, oh, that actually has nothing to do with my character, sure. and it, it's totally irrelevant to this story, so now I have to go back and destroy three months worth of work um, so outlining in advance has really helped me keep things streamlined and focused so that when I do sit down to actually write the book and move beyond the outline and actually produce the story itself um, I'm sticking right to my, my outlined path and I'm you know not going crazy with all these random weird side stories, and um, I can really, you know, get that book finished and make sure it's compelling and interesting and complete feeling so that the reader feels really satisfied at the end of it within a pretty reasonable amount of time. Um, I do tend to write pretty fast. I mean, I like I said before, I do this full-time. This is, like, all I do all day long, so yeah. I have no life is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't, and it's just me and my husband. I don't have any kids to take care of, so that, you know, gives me a lot more time to write than many other people might have. Um, so I feel fortunate in that, but, um, yeah, I can, I can typically do a full size novel in about four to six weeks, depending on how long it is and how complex it is. So, yep.
0: So, uh, when you, um, you know, outline this novel and you're deciding kind of what, where it's going to go, I mean, are you, are you deciding how many words it's going to be or do you kind of have a feel for that or does it depend on the series or is that part of the outlining process?
1: Yeah, you know, as you kind of get used to writing your own outlines and then taking that outline into a full book, you'll sort of start to get a feel for um, how many words it's going to take you to tell that story. Some people have much more long-winded, kind of wordy uh, writing styles, which I do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and some people are much more concise and to the point, and it may take me 130,000 words to tell a book that maybe you could write in 90,000 words. Uh, It just really depends on your style. So once you kind of get used to um, judging your own style and understanding uh, your your process and how you're going to bring that outline to life and flesh it out, you'll be able to get a pretty good, accurate handle on. Oh, yeah, like you, this is how many scenes I've got in this this book. This is how many times this character you know goes up against their opponent and has to you know try. To get their goal, but they fail. That's going to take me oh, about sixty, seventy thousand words to get that, and then I've got this wrap-up scene, so that's another twenty thousand words. So yeah, this is going to be a ninety thousand word book. You just kind of like, you just start to develop a feel for it. It's not something you'll probably be able to accurately predict on your first or second outline, mm-hmm. but the more books you do, the quicker it'll come to you, and you'll just kind of you'll just develop a sense for your own process, I guess you could say.
0: So one of my struggles as a recovering pantser. <laughs> um, is the, uh, and I, I actually like the way that you, you address in the book is you feel like, am I going to stifle creativity? It, it, you know, if yeah. I, if I got this big outline and I'm, you know, I'm thinking through the, the core of the story and motivations and goals and, you know, flaws and all these things, you know, isn't that just going to be boring? I mean, that's what a lot of pants say it's you know, Stephen King says that and Lee Child and some of these other guys, you know, um. Yeah, you know, I'm just be bored to death. So how how do you kind of answer that when people ask you that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because sometimes I feel that way too and there are actually some books that I don't outline at all and I just totally pants it. But um for most of them I do outline and and I uh, have re- realized with my own, you know, practice of of using outlines and adapting them to different styles of stories that you can sort of stop outlining at a particular point like you can develop the the story to the, to the just to the the point where you understand exactly what the character is going to go through and how they're going to face all these personal challenges and you kind of get a pretty good handle for like what the ending scene is going to look like and then you can stop like you don't have to go into detail of everything they're going to do in this chapter or this scene and every you know thought they're going to have and every emotion they're going to experience you don't need to discover all those things during the outlining phase you can just sort of get the skeletal structure of this plot in place. And then as you're going through it and fleshing it out, you're really fleshing it out. Like, you're really bringing it to life and and imagining all these scenarios for your character within this little kind of corral you've built of these events they have to eventually face. Um, So it leaves you a lot more creative opportunity if you, you you know, stop before you make the outline too big. Uh And that way you kind of get a little bit of both worlds. You have an outline, which is going to help you stick to the point while you're writing, but you also have a lot of open ends and a lot of kind of loose untied strings that you can sort of experiment and play with as you're working on the book
0: and that's actually I was really attracted to the book because there's a lot of outlining books out there and, and other type similar books. Uh, but you really talk about that. You, you just say, you know, you you don't have to have every scene laid out. You don't have to have every, you know, detail. And I think that's what people think as an outline is it's, it's, you know, there's really, it's just kind of filling in the color and that's all we do. But, but you say, you know, one, you, sometimes you don't even outline and, and two is, you know, I I think honestly, everyone kind of outlines. I mean, even if you do it in your head, um, you know, you have a character, there's an issue, there's a setting. I, I got to get them out of the issue in a setting, <laughs> you know, even if you don't have that fully fleshed out, you're, right. st- you're still thinking about, you know, things got to happen, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and ca- characters have problems that they got to get out of, you know, at its, at its core. So, um, so I think that would, would encourage those that are listening that think, you know, it's just, it's too much, there's too much work involved. Um, I think you even said in the book, it takes you now, what, like four hours to do a whole outline now?
1: Yeah, typically like three to four hours. It's it's about half my work day now. If I need to do an outline, so sometimes I'll take a day where it's just going to be an outlining day, and I will do the outlines for two or three books that I'm planning on you know writing someday in the future. So so I can get that work done. Now I have the process down enough because you know I've practiced with thirty books already. Sure. <laughs> so I have that process down to the point where I can get it done quicker. Um, you know when you're just first learning how to outline, it, it's a skill like anything else. You're not going to do it perfectly from the get go. It's going to take you some more time to do it. So if you've never tried it before but you want try it i would plan to give yourself at least two or three days to work through the process maybe a whole week just to see you know how it how it plays out for you and what parts of it you like and don't like and then you can kind of refine the process for yourself as you go along also i should mention that um i when i first started outlining i kind of came to that because i was working on this one book and i just kept getting stuck and i was like "Uh, i don't know what to do next like i really only knew (laughs) I was going to get my character from point A at the very beginning of the book to point B. Like I had this scene in my head where I could see what she was doing and how, you know, all these things about her history. And it was a real person from history, so I understood sort of the the real story behind her. But like how, you know, all these. Parts of her biography were going to come together in this one great scene that was like the culmination of everything in the book, but I didn't know it was going to be in the book, you know? <laughs> so I had no idea how to move her from the opening of the story to the end, and it was just really frustrating, and I floundered a lot. And I finally hit on this idea because I, I only had like two hours a day to write. Like, this was while I was still working full time, so I really had to make my time count. Um, so I hit on this idea of every time I finished a chapter, I was going to take like two or three minutes to just sort of sketch in, in really general terms, what was going to happen in the next chapter. So then when I would come at it the next day, I would sort of have this little mini outline of that next scene I needed to write, ready to go. And that worked so well for me and got me out of that mire of just like, you know, not knowing how to proceed that I was like, oh, I should start doing this with like whole books. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> See
1: how that works.
0: Right.
1: So yeah, it out pretty well.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, as I was kind of reading the book, uh, one of the things that was interesting, and, th- and I think this was what makes your book unique is you, you talk very specifically about when you're outlining, you're not just outlining the next scene necessarily, um, or the next, you know, kind of plot point. Um, you're trying to get kind of below the surface. You, you're you're trying to say, you know, what's the the character's flaws and motivations, and you know what uh, what what's the antagonist doing, and and all these kinds of things. And so you're not um, just just doing paragraphs of okay, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, because you say sometimes that if you outline it that way, you actually could still have the same problems and kind of uh, right. end up in a corner. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Yeah, one of the points I make in Take Off Your Pants is that, you know, the plot—if if you think of the plot as being uh, the sort of bare bones events that are going on around your character, or sort of the um, the scenario your character is moving through—that's um, not very important in in creating a compelling story. So you can like change the events that are happening around your character in any variety of ways, and you can still have the same compelling story that people still want to read. So it's not really the plot that is drawing readers to your story. So what is drawing readers to your story? Well, it's your character, obviously. You know, we are a social species. We evolved in groups. We evolved to connect with other people. And, um, you know, you can... You can uh, evoke that response in your readers by presenting a a character to them, even if it's not a human character like in Watership Down, right? You're presenting a character that feels extremely human to them and often what's so human about us is that we have problems and we have flaws and we have these struggles to try to solve those problems. So what I make the focus of all of my outlines is not so much um, the events going on around the character, but really the events that are going on inside the character. So they have some kind of internal problem that they're trying to fix and they're trying to solve something about themselves so that they can be more complete or happier or, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever their, their goal is, they can learn how to use magic or, you know, whatever you, you have going on for your individual main character. And then the story itself is this, um, this, uh, like a movie playing out for the reader where they're watching them continually strive to achieve a goal, but then they keep failing. And the only way they can finally achieve that goal is when they confront what's wrong with them inside of them, and they make this sort of internal change. And that allows them to make enough external change that they can finally do whatever they've been trying to do over the course of this plot. So I think that's what really uh, what really drives a compelling book in most genres, is uh, that internal Struggle that's happening within a character's heart or mind, rather than all the stuff that's going on around them. That stuff's just window dressing, and it can be very fun and it can be very important depending on what your genre is. But ultimately, what's going to make a reader really form some attachment with your book is the character, not the plot.
0: And that was a really good point uh, because you you started kind of the the book with the you know story core, and uh, you know right. you, talk, you talk about the elements of a story, and and the danger would be that you just start saying, Oh, this would be really cool. And then this would be really cool. And this would be really cool. But you could have a bunch of characters in a room, not doing anything. And there's really right. no motivation to do anything. And, and, uh, and one of the things that I loved that you talked about in the character part is you talked about flaws and you're very specific and flaws are not, um, well, he has a limp, uh, he's, right. you know, he has a droopy eye. Um, yeah. you, you, you talk about, cause I think that's where bad writing comes in. It's, it's oh look at this character and he's got a limp. I mean that's not interesting. Okay, uh, you know if you're reading a book, but but you talk about these major flaws and you use some of the examples in your book and some other famous books. Uh, you know uh, in, in, insecurities, selfishness. Um, you know trying to create a character that's that's dangerous, that's flawed, doesn't know they're flawed. Um, so so. When you talk about a compelling book, how is, and we're going to kind of jump in just some very nuts and bolts uh, type stuff, so people actually listening can can even begin to think about their own outlines. As far as character goes, is the character wants something, but the character can't get it, but but when you talk about the flaw of that person, what, what are you actually talking about?
1: Well, I'm definitely talking about, yeah, like you said, it's not, um, you can't think of a character flaw in terms of like a physical imperfection, unless that really, really affects their ability to become a complete person and i think there are very few situations where like a physical flaw is going to affect someone's you know internal wholeness Um, so you're not talking about like oh they're clumsy or they have a gap in their teeth or something you're talking about like something that prevents them from being a whole human you know um they are really terrible at making friends maybe so they're always lonely that's that's a pretty big flaw or you know maybe Maybe they're just afraid of the dark. They have this irrational fear, and in order to uh, save the person who needs saving, they're going to have to run through a dark forest to get them. You know, they're going to have to confront that that problem that makes them that gives them a weakness inside, basically. So you can kind of think of the character flaw as like a way a person um, is weak, and this journey they go on over the course of the story to strengthen that weakness in themselves, so that they come out of it with like you know ramrod spine and they can tackle anything because they've finally overcome their great weakness. So that The flaw has to be um, something personality wise, I guess you could say. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be like a horrible narcissist who everybody hates. It could just be. So, I just, as one example, I'm kind of rambling here and I'm sorry, but. (laughs) No, it's fine. um, As one example, so my most recent book I put out has this really, like, sweet, nice character in it. The main character is just, like, adorable, and everyone loves her, and her flaw really is that she's too sweet, so she is so, like, kind and thinks the best of everybody is kind of a Pollyanna, and then she gets stuck into this world where everyone around her is incredibly vicious and can't be trusted and is, like, brutal and mean, and she has to basically, like, kill her sweetness and innocence in order to become, in order to survive, really, because she's going to get killed by the, all these crazy vicious competitors if she doesn't you know, grow a back, a backbone, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and really mm-hmm. stick up for herself and get a little bit of cunning. Um, so it, your flaw can even be something that in another scenario might be seen as a benefit or a positive character trait, but in this scenario your character's in, it's going to hold them back somehow. So until they learn how to overcome that and grow a little bit, um, they're going to be held back by whatever haunts them. I guess you could say. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, if you go and read, um, I I don't know why I noticed this lately, maybe because I was reading your book again, just kind of getting ready for this. But um, if you go read like, like Amazon reviews on some books, I'm always, I'm always interested when you read someone say, actually their character was too vicious. Um, (laughs) You know, almost in a, they're so un- so over the top, so unrealistic that you know, I mean, it's still fiction, obviously, I mean it's, it's unrealistic, of course, but but almost to the point of like they're trying to take that flaw to such a another level that it, it's just not interesting anymore.
1: Um. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: You know, because then you kind of wonder, well, how are they going to even change? Are they going to change? You know, all of a sudden at the end, they're just going to be, you know, um, hanging out with you know puppies and taking care of sick children. I mean, what what's the change that's going to happen? Um, and that was just in a kind of eye opening thing for me that sometimes you can even take that because you were talking about this this subtle kind of flaw. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes we think it's got to be this massive you know thing that that's just so crazy that you know you don't want to be in the same room with them um and i know that i know that can work sometimes um yeah
1: but you know I think yeah go ahead it it definitely can work sometimes and I think one of the best examples of of that working well where you just have this over the top like oh my god flaw is probably in Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov where uh, the main character Humbert Humbert I mean he's a child molester like it doesn't really get any worse than that you know and he certainly has to make a, a pretty massive character journey to become somebody who you can even admire a tiny bit by the end of the book but you know he manages to do it at the end of it he completely repents of everything and he did and he's like oh my god i'm a monster so you have this this feeling this satisfaction at the end where like you're like yeah buddy you're a monster <laughs> i've been telling you that through this whole novel so you can make it work but yeah if you don't if you don't give your reader um, a clear sensation that that no matter how big or small your character's flaw is they're going to try to overcome it over the course of this story they, they may fail it's totally legitimate to write a story where you know the character can't do it in the end and they are still like trapped in their own you know moral swamp Um, but as long as there's a clear sense to the reader that they're going to try to fix this in themselves then they'll usually you know readers will usually go along with it and and will you know be along with you for that ride but um, yeah if you just make this over-the-top like mustache twirling cape swishing villain who's just so evil that you can't stand him and then he never tries to change over the course of the book you're gonna be like why did I just read this Uh (laughs) it's no point
0: Right, and I think one of the great um t v just in recent times is breaking bad uh Walter White yeah, I mean if you want to think here of, hear of a, a character that subtly changes over time, um yeah. I think that's great because you kind of get a sense that he something's off or something's you know <laughs> mm-hmm. broken mm-hmm. in him, but his motivation is he wants to do good for his family he you know his he has cancer. Yeah, I, I, hopefully no spoilers were Breaking Bad, but yeah, you know, spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. He has he has cancer and wants to make money. So you know, if he's gonna die, his family will be taken care of. But but over time, he he realizes, well, maybe this is really who I am. I am a drug dealer, or I I do want power, or I do want you know whatever. Um, yeah, he's I think a that, very
1: interesting character to study in fiction.
0: It, it is, and and I think that's if you want to see how that works in an actual s- story, um, it's a it's a great place because he he is changing. You know. Um, and even, yeah. the, even the way it ends, you're kind of like, huh, interesting. How, how, you know, what, what really happened, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. but, um uh, you know, I think that's a great example. So, so in your, your outline method, um, you actually walk the reader through actually how to do this very specifically. And I, I just wrote down some, some notes, um, and, Obviously you wrote the book so you know I don't have to tell you what you wrote but um, but you know you say you start with a character I mean that's always a good place to start um, you do talk about you know having some features of the character like you gave an example of like Pocahontas and you know a native girl living in the 1600s um, you know Wilbur the pig you know he's a pig right. <laughs> so you have a you have a character but then at the bottom of that line you say okay, but we need a flaw for the character. Um, you know, we just talked about that a little bit and, you know, so, so what is that flaw? Is it going to be this massive thing, a subtle thing, but there's some kind of flaw. Um, and then you talk about a goal, they got to have a goal, an external goal. Um, and it's, and it's, you, you say it's often related to the flaw. So what is, what is that external goal? How does that make stories compelling?
1: You know, the external goal is one of those elements of plot that you can almost change in any way you want, and it will still give you the same story in the end, because as long as your character's flaw is clearly defined, then you know where the character's going towards the end of this book. They're going to be trying to fix that flaw. They'll either succeed or fail, right? So their goal can be anything that... that. Uh, urges them to go on that journey to confront that flaw and it really I mean it can be anything like anything you can imagine they can you know if it's a, a high fantasy novel it's probably going to be your typical quest for a magical object right if it's urban fanti- fantasy they're probably going to be going after the the creature that's you know stalking the city and trying to defeat them if it's a literary novel they're probably going to be trying to find themselves whatever that vagueness is and no diss to literary fiction there by the way because <laughs> I write it too <laughs> uh-huh. but you know it's all about finding yourself right uh-huh. Um, so the flaw or the, I'm sorry, the external goal can be almost anything. It's, as long as it's something that is going to make your character uh, feel like it's time to sort of try to step outside the box a little bit or bust out of their shell a tiny bit and try to do something that's going to bring them in co- into a confrontation with their own flaw.
0: And don't you think with that external goal in mind? I mean, even just having that idea in your head or written down is you're going to have so much story to write. I mean, just just knowing okay, here, here's the character, here's the flaw, and here's the goal. You know, how do I get to that goal? Because you, you talk about that at the beginning, the you know kind of main um, you know heart of a story is there's a character, the character wants something, he can't get it, struggles you know, and then either succeeds or fails. I mean, that's right. That's basically any story, right? Um, yep. <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden, just by thinking through those, those couple things, you're, you're going to have a lot of story to think about. I mean, that's where I think it gets fun, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really starts to kind of branch out from there. Like as soon as you sort of define those initial five characteristics, that character, they want something, can't get it easily struggle, success or failure you will probably start to see all kinds of visions in your mind of like, oh, I could do this or I could do this or like, mm-hmm. what, were, what are the struggles going to be like? Maybe they're going to be these big epic battles or maybe it's going to be something quieter and kind of more internal. Yeah, I mean, once you get to that point with an outline, the creativity really starts to flourish. That's, that's sort of, I think, where the fun comes in with outlining a new book is that step right there where you sort of define those first five key steps and then it's like, ta-da! You get all these cool ideas mm-hmm. that just come
0: running in. So we have a, we have a character... We have a goal. Uh, we have flaws, obviously, and and then you talk about antagonists. So we got someone who's going against the main character, uh, doesn't want them to get the goal. But there's something interesting you talk about the antagonists, and I think this help will probably help a lot of people is you really talk about them being kind of the photo negative of the main character. So talk talk, right. talk, talk a little bit yeah. about that.
1: The antagonist very often. Um, how do I describe this really well? (laughs) The antagonist is almost always trying to get the same external goal as the character is. So if you are, let's, let's take that high fantasy example. If if you're doing a a standard high fantasy book with that trope of we're going on a quest for a magical object, your antagonist is going to be somebody who also wants to have control of the magical object. So you think about Frodo versus Sauron, right? That's kind of the, the typical Frodo is kind and meek and mild, and he is in possession of the one ring. Sauron is the opposite opposite of that. He is the photo negative of everything Frodo is and he also wants possession of the one ring. So so you can sort of think of your antagonist as what um what other person, other personality or what force in the world in this, you know, World you're creating uh, is going to represent kind of the opposite of everything your main character stands for or will stand for by the time they achieve their internal goal and they overcome their flaw and they emerge as this sort of new person. So when they sort of come out at the end of this journey, um, assuming they succeed, that is, they'll sort of represent uh, a new way of looking at the world. So the antagonist kind of has to represent like the old way of looking at the world they sort of sh- will will function to illustrate for the reader how um if your character does not succeed in fixing their internal flaw this is what they may become you know they might become this this uh, evil entity like Sauron. Like in the case of Lord of the Rings, it doesn't really illustrate, it doesn't get much better than that as an illustration for the relationship between an antagonist and a protagonist because the ring will, you know, make whoever bears it and whoever wears it too many times progressively more evil until they're like Sauron. So it's a really good uh, good illustration of that concept right there. And everyone's familiar with that story, right? I hope.
0: Probably most people. Uh, (laughs) And... You talk also about the antagonist isn't kind of this, you know, mustache wearing, twirling mustache villain type of thing. Right. <laughs> um, talk a little bit how you can make um, antagonists interesting.
1: Right, of course, antagonists, you know, the the old saying goes, everybody's the hero of their own story. An antagonist uh, is going through their own personal character journey, too. They're trying to get that external goal for their own reasons, and they're going to have to confront their own internal flaws as well. Now, if they're not a main character in your book, you probably won't, you know, go into depth exploring their personal journey. But you should sort of think of them in terms of, okay, if I were to write their book, How would I be exploring their character? Like, what would they? What would be important to them? What would their flaw be? How would their flaw sort of uh, get in their way continually and mess with them during these confrontations with their antagonist, who is your protagonist in this book? And um, how how would that enhance the conflict between these two? Because you know, it's okay to write just like a mustache twirling, caped, you know, typical. Uh, vaudeville villain. There's nothing wrong with that, but your book will be a lot more compelling if people have a reason to sort of feel for the antagonist too and go, "Oh my God, like it's I really want the the main guy to win because he's like the good guy in this story, but like I kind of feel for this person too. Like I'm really amazed. I I don't know. Hopefully most of your your listeners have uh, either read or watched Game of Thrones and, and the series of books associated with that, but I'm kind of amazed at how much sympathy I keep developing for Cersei Lannister and then I hate her again and then I sympathize with her again and then I'm like. Oh, it's so like I don't know whether to love her or hate her and it's just torture and like I know she's the antagonist of almost everybody, but at the same time, like her life is so complex. Like her inner life has a lot of layers to it and that makes it hard to just write her off as just some corny villain. So yeah, I think that's what you should go for. Saurons and Cersei's
0: right. <laughs> so, so, again, I think as you're you're building this outline, you, I mean, even what you just described, I mean, you're, you're building a lot of story here. I mean, you're thinking through, again, the character, their motivations, their goals, who's opposing them and how they're going to stop right. them. I mean, even just having that thought, you're going, OK, here's a scene that could go there. Here's a scene that could go there. I mean, um, and then obviously we don't want the character to get what they want yet. Um, right, <laughs> and because that's, that's what keeps, keeps us turning the pages is, you know, it's not the happy ever right. after, so what's going to happen and, and all those kinds of things. And so, um, so as you kind of work through the, the outline, you also then kind of get into plot and then you get in the end, I'll, I'll skip the plot for a second. Um, but you talk about the ending too, um, is put a little spot for an end. Um, and, and it's basically, how's it, how's it going to end? Are they going to succeed? Are they going to fail? Um. So when, you, when you're actually writing a book um, yourself, do you have the end in mind right away or is that kind of discovered as you're kind of outlining or does it just happen in different ways or how does that work for you?
1: For my process, um, personally, I've found it really difficult to even begin outlining a book until I know what the ending scene is going to be. Sometimes I don't even know what the beginning scene is going to be, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but if I can sort of visualize, um, just like a movie playing in my head, like the last big dramatic scene of a film, then I know I can outline that story. That's not the case for everybody. I'm not saying that you have Mm -hmm. to know the ending scene before you start outlining, um, but it works really well for me personally. Um. I forgot what else you asked me with that question.
0: <laughs> or just, you know, on different books, is it, is it, you know, the end's always in mind or does it, you know, does it matter if you have that in mind or as you're working oh, through yeah, it? or?
1: Yeah. With, with me, the end's always in mind, but, mm-hmm. but it's not a hard and fast rule. Yeah.
0: Well, and it seems like as you kind of work through the book and, you know, you give us, you know, Hey, put a number five, put an end, um, is you're actually kind of working backwards to say, okay, so what, what has to happen for us to get to that ending point? Um, you know, and, and it sounds like you don't have to have, you know, maybe for you, you have the whole scene mapped out. Um, but it sounds like you could even have just, they're going to succeed and here's how they're going to succeed. You know, maybe I don't have all the details, but I know they're going to, you know, get the girl in the end or whatever. I mean, if you're a romance writer, they have to, you know, end up together in the end or you've, no one will, they'll crucify you. Um, (laughs) but, um, but, but is that is that fair to say um you know the yeah absolutely it, it can yeah. be fairly vague i mean you might discover that later as you're writing or as you're outlining
1: yes it, it can be as vague as you want it to be really uh, i mean all you really need to know i think while you're working on an outline is whether you want your characters to succeed or fail in the end and as you pointed out it, it may be sort of predetermined by your genre in romance they better end up together or you're going to have hell to pay um but in other genres it may be more open ended you can have them you know get their head chopped off on the steps of Baylor. Another spoiler alert there for those of you who have not read Game of Thrones. Don't get too attached to anyone named Stark. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, well, don't get too attached to any character. <laughs>
1: yeah, don't get, yeah, just, just, just don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you can have a character completely fail to the point that they die in trying to achieve this goal. You don't You don't have to, um, you know, have them win in the end, but you should have a pretty clear idea for that character's arc, whether you want them to succeed or fail. And also, you um, whether you want them to sort of have like an upbeat happy ending, if they do succeed, is it going to be a clear unambiguous success where like everything worked out fine. Yay. Or is it going to be the sort of bittersweet kind of hard lesson they learn? Like, wow, I'm I'm glad I overcame all these obstacles and defeated my antagonist, but also I lost all this stuff along the way. So you can yeah. sort of give yourself some notes about um, whether it's going to be happy, smiley ending, bittersweet ending, whatever. And you can come up with the specifics of that scene later as you're working through the process of the outline and kind of developing um, all these these points where your protagonist and antagonist clash in pursuit of this goal, you can sort of refine your ideas about exactly what that final scene is going to look like later.
0: So let let me uh, let me give you a specific, and it's it's from one of my books because I was thinking about this, and this is actually on the topic of theme, and I, I really like okay. th- like theme. Is um, you talk about in the outline, is you also want to think through? You know, you talk about. Um, thinking through the flaw but also thinking about the theme of your book Uh, really just what the what's the point of the book Um, and I know you kind of talked through that a little bit you know people have pushed back well I have to think of a theme and you know when does that (laughs) happen and that seems crazy Um, but but this was really eye-opening to me so I wrote this book um, called Return and it's it's a crime thriller and um, the theme really is about family and it's really about dysfunctional families now it's it's a book about there's a crime family and this father who comes home from prison and he's got debts that he needs to pay and it's just a whole kind of fun story um but but i get to the end of the book and what i realized and I, I pants quite a bit I'm, I'm kind of a quasi in the in the middle um outliner pantser but um, but when i got to the end what i realized was they're sitting at this restaurant and the father had been killed in the story um the the main character really really wanted to make amends with his father but he uh, gets killed in the story because of his crime or whatever and and he's sitting there and he's kind of looking around the table and just realizing you know what these people are really messed up but yet they're my family um mm-hmm. and and at the beginning of the story he realized I don't think I can embrace this father of mine. He's not my real father. I, I don't know if I can ever trust him. He, you know, he abandoned me, he left me, that kind of thing. But in the end, he kind of comes this epiphany of, okay, I guess we just have to deal with who, who we, we've been given. We can't really choose our families. <laughs> would that be yeah. an example of like a theme? Um, uh, would that be an example of, and again, I'm not saying, oh, that's, hey, that's a great story, you know, but, but is that kind of what you're talking about when you talk about theme? That
1: certainly sounds like that could be the theme of your book. I mean, without knowing more specifics about it, it's hard to say whether that would be an identifiable theme or not. But um, yeah, I mean, if if you think of theme as sort of like – uh, like the one sentence you know little tagline you're going to use to describe your book to people or to sort of tell people what the purpose of that book is you don't have to put it anywhere in the book by the way like you don't need to put it on the cover like <laughs> like novel's title theme colon. You know, here's here's one line about it. it's not like that but if you think of it as sort of your guiding principle for the book um, that will sort of help you determine uh, which scenes you should keep in the book and which you shouldn't because if if your scenes don't Directly bear on either um, the internal struggle your character is going through. It sounds like the scenario you described, where this character's you know got a rough, uh, got some trouble with his father, and and um, you know maybe that's part of his flaws that I don't I don't know maybe maybe part of his flaws that he doesn't like his family much, and mm-hmm. at the end of it he he realizes he gets a more complete understanding yeah. of family. No, it is so actually
0: that's that's actually very accurate.
1: Oh, okay, good. See, <laughs> so maybe that's maybe that's more of the flaw rather than the theme. But um, if if you're scenes within your story that you know as you're as you're working on this outline and as you're writing the book if you are tempted to put scenes in there that don't directly bear on either the character exploring and confronting his flaw or on the theme of the book or third on pacing that just makes the book feel fast-paced and exciting you shouldn't have that scene in the book basically so flaw and theme help you you know weed out what you should and shouldn't keep in there so um so so the the one i told you about earlier with the the protagonist who's just like too sweet to live (laughs) and she's Uh like her big flaws that she's so nice and she's gonna get (laughs) killed if she doesn't you know grow grow a a pair um so the theme of that book what i've chosen for for that series i should say because it's it's a three book series is um even the most oppressed person can overthrow an empire so that's my theme for that three book series so if i'm writing a scene and it doesn't somehow show either how my character is oppressed or how she's going to break out of that oppression and overthrow the empire, mm-hmm. it probably doesn't belong in that book. So that's how you use theme to sort of help you mm-hmm. weed out potential scenes. Mm-hmm.
0: You have a great example in the book of, uh, and I won't use specifics just because, uh, anyway, <laughs> they, they can read the book, but but you did talk about how, to, how there was a series of, of books that started with this, you know, good triumph triumphs over evil kind of theme. And then you, right. <laughs> you talked about how Game of Thrones actually did a, a better job in keeping a consistent theme throughout the books and you know the TV show maybe more the books but um and, and just how important that was it kind of held together the series you know in a sense right. um right. and and then when it gets kind of vague again I think I guess I'm looking back in hindsight of all the books I've written and thinking about how that theme really does tie so many things together um, mm-hmm. characters and motivations and flaws and goals and all that. And it's amazing. I think even in our subconscious, we kind of write with with kind of a theme in mind. Um, right. It, you know, whether you, you outline or not, it seems like there's just this, like, common thread that just keeps coming through. Um, the, the book I mentioned my own it w- was um, – there was also – in the antagonist was kind of this this Italian crime family and yet even in that it was all about family it was about their their loyalty to each other and you know and Um, one of the characters had had the the whole backstory was the father actually had killed one of the crime family's brothers. And so that's Mm -hmm. why they were trying to take him out. And so anyway, just like, it just kept coming over and over. And and I was just like, this is really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like like everywhere you look, there's like a dysfunctional family or loyalty (laughs) or, you know, chain, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so, so as you're, so again, coming back to your, your, your outline where we've got a character we got some goals. We got an antagonist. Um, we that wants to stop the character wants the same goal. Um, we have an, maybe an ending in mind. Um, we've thought through flaws of the character. Um, that comes a little earlier, but um, we talked a little about theme. But, but then also, I, I kind of jumped jumped the gun a little bit. But I think this was really fascinating in your book because uh, it's in every. It seems like it's in every story. At least every good story is the idea of a, an ally. And, yes. <laughs> and that, that, you know, that could be a partner in crime, but it's that person that's kind of nudging you along, um, or, right. or I should say nudging the, the character along, and, and the character's hesitant, right? Um, that's, that's kind of the point of the ally. They don't want to do what they're supposed to do. They don't want to fix the problem. They don't want to identify their issues. Um, so talk a little bit about the ally and maybe give some examples of, of what an ally can be in a good story. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Allies are... Um... Very, very important, like you said, and and something that's so often overlooked, because I think it's just one of those things, again, you know, we're social creatures, Um, we are so used to just having stories that include um, a buddy for the, you know, the sidekick for the main character, that we just kind of overlook them. They're just a feature of the landscape, and they're always around, and and of course you've got a buddy, right? But we may not realize uh, the important role they play in story. Um, So the ally in your story needs to be another character, or sometimes they are... A force, I guess you could say, outside or within the character. Occasionally, an ally is like a really cherished memory. Like maybe they, somebody who is very dear to your main character, died, and they just hold this one particular memory of them in in their mind, and they keep returning to that memory again and again. Um, so it could be either like a living actual person or a force, um, but it's it's the the one being that has the most emotional leverage over your main character so they they have the power to make your main character confront themselves and um, their external goal and their antagonist when your main character is ready to give up. So a couple of really good examples that I think most of us are probably familiar with. Again, we'll go back to Lord of the Rings because it's such an archetypal story. Um, Sam and Frodo, of course. Sam is the ally. Frodo's the main character. He's ready. You know, they're in Mordor and he's like, "Well, I can't go on," and he's ready to give up. And Sam's like, "No, you have to. You can't give up." And he's like, "I can't." So Sam throws him over his shoulder and packs him up to Mordor to throw the ring in. Like he's not going to let him stop just because he feels like he can't. So Sam's a good example of an ally. Um, Maybe a a subtler example of allies is uh, in Game of Thrones. Uh, Tyrion and Jaime Lannister are both main characters in their own rights, but they're also one another's allies. They have... Uh, all the emotional leverage in the world over each other. Either one of them can make the other do something they wouldn't normally do because they love each other so much and they have such a strong bond. So that's the type of character you need because it's, it's incredibly emotional when your character gets to this point where they are sure they can't go on and they're ready to give up and just like chuck it all and forget it. And if they Get off that path of their journey. They're never going to um, confront their their final flaw and overcome it and grow as a character. So they'll, they'll never become the the hero they're trying to become, right? right? So that ally has to step in at that point and force them to stay on the right path and do it. And it's always a very emotional scene when it when it happens. So don't leave that out of your stories. It's like it's like the the secret spice that makes stuff really really great and compelling. So make sure you have um, make sure you've identified your character's ally from early on in the book so that you know who you're going to use at that crucial scene bring him in and, and work that magic
0: yeah it was interesting too you said that you, even the antagonist can be an ally was that, mm-hmm. is that correct?
1: Yeah, they can. If they have enough emotional weight over that character's heart, mm-hmm. they can absolutely be an ally. In fact, in a lot of romances I've read, um, the male and female leads, or if it's a same-sex romance, the two romantic leads, um, they are often both each other's antagonists and each other's allies at different mm-hmm. points during the story. They take on those different roles for each other. So mm-hmm. romance is really fun to read because it's so complex character-wise.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, so... so. Um, we have kind of moved through the outline. We have uh, thought through our ally, um, our theme, characters or goals, etc. And then you talk about plot, and there's a lot a lot to this one. We won't um, hit all of them. Um, but maybe you could talk us through a little bit about the actual plotting of um, kind of once you've done this legwork. Um, you, you do talk about how you, you don't have to – again, you said earlier – at the beginning that you don't have to have every, you know, scene written out necessarily. But once you have a lot of this done, you actually will have a lot of story to kind of, you know, kind of go with. Um, yeah. But, you know, you talk about this, you know, even thinking of an opening scene, um, you know, an inciting ev- event. Um, you know, the character realizes their external goal, displays the flaw, drive for goal, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, All those kinds of things. Um, but talk us through a little bit about maybe even how you do it. Is what are you actually putting down as far as scene by scene um, at this point? Um, are, right. are are you are you do you have kind of an idea of like I need at least like fifty scenes or I need thirty scenes or something or what does that look like for you?
1: Um, I don't typically look at it in terms of I need X number of scenes. I look at it more in terms of um, how much do I want to torture this character before I let them uh, face their final confrontation, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and if it's going to be like kind of a long series and pretty drawn out over maybe several books or something I'll torture them for quite a while so mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll keep uh, running them through plot which is kind of the external events going on around them until I'm finally ready to bring them to that climactic scene but um, your, your plot really at this point in your outline for the purposes of the outline the plot at this stage is going to be um, the scenes where your character constantly meets in confrontation against their antagonist so you'll set up these sort of uh, these fights basically they don't have to be literal fights but but you'll set up these struggles where um, they're both just trying to get that goal that external goal they're both reaching for it and your character keeps almost getting it but he just keeps getting thwarted in the end so it's this cycle of um, striving for a goal and being thwarted and it can happen once I mean three feels really symmetrical to most humans so if you make them struggle and Fail three times, then that's usually a, a kind of the minimum. You can make it as many times as you want, but um, they have to at least one time attempt to get what they're what they're trying to go for and fail at getting that, and then sort of give the, have this uh, I give up moment where the ally steps in to force them back on. So your plot, the the uh, things going on around your character basically is well, while they're, while they're uh, uh, being. Sort of like, okay. Think of it like the uh, the carrot and the stick, right? The donkey uh-huh. with the you're riding uh-huh. a donkey, and you make it keep going by uh, dangling a carrot from a stick in front of it. So, um, so the the plot is basically the carrot hanging in front of your character's donkey that's just making them continue to go, and they're moving along their path, and it just keeps egging them on to keep moving along, even when they don't really want uh-huh. to, because it's getting so frustrating every time they get defeated. Uh-huh.
0: And I think what you're you're on the earthing a little bit through your outlining process too is is making sure. I, I always hear writers that are just starting, maybe they're writing their first thing or whatever. Was they always say this? You know, I was writing this book and I realized the characters weren't doing anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, it was just boring because they and they weren't doing anything because they had no no goal. They had no resistance. They had you know, it was just people in a room chatting and everything's going okay and it's just normal life. But that's not why we read fiction, right? It's because right. We like the struggle because we all struggle, and we we like when the characters don't get what they want because we want to know well how is this ever going to work out? You know how are they going to right. how are they yeah. going to win the battle in the end? How are they going to you know save the the you know how are they going to get the girl or whatever it is? Um, and, and so I think what you're you're really doing with this book is you're just unearthing that as writers to say, you know you don't have to be. You know, Mark Twain you don't have to be you know flowery but you can write a really compelling book by just having these things in place and and, and giving these these characters something to want and um, and but then falling on their face I mean I think you even said you can have them fall on their face dozens of times if necessary you know to make it yeah. um, if that's where the story needs to go.
1: Absolutely. As long as they still, as long as you're still giving the reader uh, some reason to believe that they're still trying to fix that initial flaw, uh-huh. you know, you can keep uh, sort of resurrecting the flaws many times as you need to kind of remind your reader, like, hey, remember how this guy's a jerk all the time? You know, uh-huh. <laughs> as long as they get that that continued reminder that there is a purpose to this, it's not just a series of battle scenes and that's it. Um, it'll still continue to feel compelling. They'll still want to keep going with it. So,
0: yeah. And it, and it seems you make the the reader. It, it, well, I should say it, it makes the reader uh, enjoy the book because it's relatable because that's how life is, you know, right. <laughs> life, life, life isn't smooth. Life doesn't okay. always go the way we want it to. And we can all relate to that, you know, um, and, and, you know, and it could be set in a fantasy series. It doesn't matter. I mean, we still relate to conflict. We relate to yeah. re- resistance and not getting what we want. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. Cause we've all felt that in one form or another over, you know, something, <laughs> something yep. in our life felt that way on a small scale.
0: Right. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so yeah. So then you have you know very very detailed, very good as far as the plot. Like things to think about as far as um, you know falling down. Then you have like one that says you know new drive for goal, and um, I, I thought uh, that was kind of uh, interesting. Or I should say not the new drive for goal. So he falls down, but then this change goal where there's actually a point in the story where the character just wants to give up and actually do something totally different. Uh, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They just kind of throw up their hands and they're like, I'm not doing this anymore. This mm-hmm. is crap. <laughs> right. So,
0: yeah. Yep. And then the you know ally comes back and has to remind them again. And then, you know, then they finally go, OK, we gird up our loins and let's go do it and go to battle. And then however you want your book to end, that's kind of kind of the main nuts and bolts of it.
1: Yep. That's the gist of it.
0: So. Um, so as you're you're, you know, convincing us um, very convincingly um, that we need to outline our books, Um you know, tell us a little bit about what you're kind of learning. Uh, you know, you've been doing this for a while, um, you know, 30 plus books, um, you know, for the kind of newer writer, aspiring writer, um, what would be kind of the, the, the advice, the wisdom, you know, from the school of hard knocks, um, what you're kind of learning, <laughs> what you'd encourage them with um, as they're kind of getting going, even maybe even using this process, what would you want to say?
1: Um, I would say if you're if you want advice about outlining and you've never done it before or you've tried and it just didn't work for you, I would say try it again, but approach it from uh, the perspective of I'm learning a new skill. And it's not just any skill, but it's something that's going to become a really useful tool for me to use later. Um, It's not always the tool you're gonna need for the job at hand, but when it is the tool, that you need for that particular task, you want to have that skill down pat. So teach yourself how to create an outline and expect it to take some time to learn. You know, you're not going to be perfect at it right off the bat. So that's my advice if you have been thinking about outlining. Um, My advice in general for writers, I think, lately has been... uh, It's always hardest to finish your first book. It takes forever. It feels torturous sometimes and exhilarating at other times, but it really feels like a massive emotional drain, and you feel like, oh my god, that took me three years or whatever. I can never do this again. It's insane. How does Libby Hawker write 12 books a year? So... I just have to tell you from personal experience, the first book is really super hard to finish. And then everyone after that gets a little bit easier. It just kind of snowballs and you build up all the skills you need to create a book um, with more and more practice. So finish your first book, get to the end, you can do it, I promise, and then start a new one <laughs> and it'll be easier the second time around, I swear.
0: <laughs> and, and I think that's really great advice on the learning, you know, outline is just another skill. I think that's where I got hung up when I, you know, I wasn't probably wasn't an outliner because I didn't know what... outline or what to do or how to do it. And it just felt like hard. And, but, but as you kind of learn from people like yourself, it, it does become easier. It becomes, um, and I think it keeps us again, you know, this whole podcast is dedicated to being prolific is having those outlines kind of ready and saying, Hey, you know, I can be writing on one, working on one project and outlining another, maybe it's the second, another book in the series. And so when I come to that book, I'm ready to go, you know, I'm ready, ready to just start, you know having the fun part of actually writing the story um I mean, it's not just time wasted um, and I think that's kind of what you've, you've said in different ways throughout the whole interview is just, you know, you want to be efficient and you want, don't want to waste time. And then, you know, even said in the book, you know, cutting out 30,000 words because it didn't, well, didn't really go anywhere, you know?
1: That still hurts. <laughs> right. Cause I
0: mean, think how long it took you to write 30,000 words, you know? Yes,
1: especially on my first novel. So I was really struggling, you know, it took me like, I don't know, several months to write that book. So 30,000 words was like, that was a couple months worth of work.
0: <laughs> it hurts. Right. Well, Libby, hey, it's been a, been a pleasure to have you on the show. I, I really love this book, Take Off Your Pants by Libby Hawker. You need to go get it. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, tell us what two things. One, uh, where we can find you, and two, what are you working on right now?
1: Sure. Um, what am I working on right now? Well, I'm working on uh, the second book in that series I talked about with the uh, oppressed person who overthrows an empire. Hmm. So trying to get that done before I move at the end of this month, ugh, um, and uh Where you can find me, let's see. Well, you can find me online at LibbyHawker.com. I can't talk. It's L-I-B-B-I-E-H-A-W-K-E-R. And look for me on Facebook, too. That's usually the easiest way to connect with me.
0: Great. We will uh, definitely put that in the show notes. And, yeah, go find Libby. She's got a lot of of books out there, and you'll really enjoy them. Um, Also, check out, and I've really um, benefited from this one, too, is – uh gotta read it is that the title um about yeah. book, book descriptions <laughs> yeah if you're yeah. struggling on what the heck to write on a book description and not write lame ones i'd read that book too so
1: <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> yeah it's a great
0: really helpful so well thanks libby well uh yeah hope to stay in touch and hope your move goes well
1: oh thanks thanks for having me on it was
0: fun you bet talk to you soon bye-bye all right bye-bye Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world and head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.